I hate movies. I, I, I hate movies. Edwin, <laughs> what happened, man? Why'd you take that turn? I don't want the public to hear you say that. It's going to make them think so differently about you. You've built your whole persona around your love of movies. All right. All right, let's get the sh** on the road so it can be over with. <laughs> Secret Movie Clubbers, Secret Movie Club Caravan keeps moving across the desert towards the cinematic promised land. That sounds very culty. <laughs> Secret Bag, it just comes out. I don't know what it means. I don't question it. Secret Movie Club Podcast 141. Or Jewish, homie. Clearly, I'm surrounded by Gentiles. My people left Egypt and had to cross the desert to the Promised Land. This is the Kabutops episode. This is in the Torah. The first five books. The Pentateuch. Weren't you bar mitzvahed, man? All right, here we go. 141, Secret Movie Club Podcast 141. We are talking about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, a movie I love, directed by Thomas Alfredson, shot by uh, the amazing DP Hoyt Van Hoytema, starring like a killer's row of British actors, headed by uh, Gary Oldman as the British spy Smiley, but it's also got Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, Benedict Cumberpatch, Toby Jones, Syrian Hines, and like three minutes of the movie as one of the main characters who only has two lines. John Hurt, Mark Strong. I know, just on and on and on. And we're talking about non-James Bond spy films, uh, which spy movies are a total genre. And this was all suggested by our very own Daniel Ott. This was his birthday movie pick. Uh, who is with us today? Hey, it's me, Daniel. I'll go by Tinker on this. So Craig, you'll be Control. I'll be Tinker. Connor can be um, Taylor. And um, Edwin is... Uh, Beggarman. Yeah. I don't know who the f that is. Coming prepared as usual. <laughs> hey gamers, it's me, Carly Cruz, the people's champion. Here with the guy who loved me. <laughs> There's a pun. It's Edwin Gomez. Uh there's gonna be a podcast I hate because you know, I, I'm just here, America. I'm not looking forward for this at all. Uh, I just wanna be straightforward. Uh it's gonna suck. I, I know the audience, they listen, they get so excited. They're like, I can't wait for Edwin's take. And then this is what we get. It's more to it when I get to the point because I have to Eat your spagooter. I will, actually. I am Craig, the founder, programmer, Secret Movie Club. It is wonderful to have you. Thank you for being here. I am a bit obsessed with this genre, so I'm looking forward to this conversation today. When you hear this, uh, it'll be March 10th. And tonight we are showing, as part of our March Musical Madness series, uh, one movie I love. One movie I find really interesting that's not really for me, I'll leave it to you to decide which is which, but we are showing a performance which stars Mick Jagger. So it has actually one of the great Rolling Stones songs that's never on any Rolling Stones albums, but shows up in Goodfellas, Memo to Turner, co-directed by Donald Camel and Nicholas Rogue. And then The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is solo directed by uh, Nicholas Rogue and stars David Bowie. Uh, in fact, it was on this movie. David Bowie did so much cocaine that he hardly remembers making the movie or making what I think is his greatest single album, Station to Station. So I don't know quite how to feel about that. And in fact, Daniel Ott got to interview and have at his film festival, Candy Clark, who is the co-star of that, of The Man Who Fell to Earth, also of American Graffiti and Fat City and a number of other movies, incredible performances. That is tonight. And then tomorrow, we recently have been talking about Hitchcock. It's part of our sort of Disciples of Hitchcock series. We are doing two by Brian De Palma, Dressed to Kill and Blow 
blowout, both of which we talked about recently. And then uh, Monday, uh, March 13th, we are doing a double that I'm really looking forward to. The Coen Brothers Inside Lewin Davis. We finally got rights to that. Took forever. I think one of their greatest movies. And the movie that really launched Oscar Isaac as a folk musician in the 60s Greenwich Village scene. And then the documentary by D.A. Pennebaker about Bob Dylan, Don't Look Back, about the period where he was just I mean, Bill Dylan has been on fire since he started, but it was really right after Dylan got huge, uh, the mid-60s, and he went on an English tour right before he went electric, and it's pretty incredible. It's got sub the very famous proto-music video of Subtraining Homesick Blues, and if you've never seen Inside Lewin Davis, uh, you'll understand it's not just because Dylan was a folk singer in the village. Dylan actually makes a cameo, not actually Bob Dylan, but the character Bob Dylan, played by an actor, makes a cameo in Inside Lewin Davis, and it's pretty mind blowing what the Coens end up what you find out they're saying about the whole thing. And then uh, Wednesday, we are showing Hi Mom on 35mm, an early Brian De Palma movie I love, a satire with Robert De Niro from the 60s that sort of is applicable today. And then Martin Scorsese's debut feature, Who's That Knocking at My Door, that I always think about. It took him five years and several cuts before it ended up being Who's That Knocking at My Door. It actually went under two or three title changes. One was Bring On the Dancing Girls, I think. And then another title was I Call First. Scorsese kept at it, kept at it, suffered, 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 finally got released. And a very young Roger Ebert wrote an amazingly prescient review saying, this filmmaker, uh, Martin Scorsese, will be one of the greatest voices of the next generation. And Scorsese has always said that he's, you know, very indebted to Ebert for, you know, saying that before he had made Mean Streets or anything. And then Thursday, uh, for Stephen Brownlee's birthday, we are doing Clerks and Swingers, two debut features from the 90s. Very much 90s movie makers, Kevin Smith and uh, Doug Lyman, John Favreau, Vince Vaughn. Very fun movies, very quick movies, uh, and very 90s movies to be sure. And then I'll just kind of leapfrog ahead and let you know that uh, Friday we are doing our St. Patrick's Day party. I'm going to try to have the Guinness flowing, maybe even some Irish corned beef and hash and some good food appetizers. We're going to be showing two Irish musicals once and the commitments and we're going to be celebrating St. Patty's Day. So join us for that. As always, you can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. By the time you hear this pod, we'll probably have started to announce our April, May, June, our spring season, including our lineup for our Palm Springs getaway 2023, which will be uh, the first weekend in May. All three amazing banger 70 millimeter movies at the Camelot Theater in Palm Springs. Which are? Which are? You'll find out about it when I announce them. We're doing Saw 1, 2, and 3. We pay for the 70 millimeter blowups of those so it's gonna be great i hope you guys are gonna like that but no <laughs> you'll you'll find out what they actually are asap talking about spies i want to thank our sponsor for today here's a service you don't even have to pay for that's right you're being spied on right now and those you want to know are being spied on too and it's free the internet search engines social media give all your information away for free that's right the internet that's our sponsor today uh and i'm going to talk about that later Tinker Tailor Soldier Spot. Yeah, let me go first on this one, Craig. Let, no, let, 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 let me get out of the way. No. Let me get out of the way. No. So I don't want the hey, this hey, anymore. slow your roll, homie. Mean men don't go first. In the bleak days of the Cold War, espionage veteran George Smiley is forced from semi-retirement to uncover a Soviet mole within his former colleagues at the heart of MI6. 
that's the gist of it, because trying to explain the more um, detailed version of this is not super fruitful. This is one of my favorite movies. It's perfect in the non-spy, in the non-James Bond side of things, because it's like the opposite of sort of the like flair and adventurous spirit of the Bond movies, because it most of this takes place in casual conversations, not casual, but conversation pieces around politics and paperwork of the spy world during the Cold War. I always tee up this thing. I said it at the introduction. I think there's a, a lot of movies, especially spy movies, have like this facility. It's it's not a negative thing, but they kind of spoon feed you stuff where if you've forgotten something, they're going to remind you. They're going to cut back to this thing that you've already seen to understand what's about to happen. Or someone will say it out loud, like, oh, we know this because of this. And Tinker Taylor does the opposite of that, which means that if you get lost during this picture, sorry, it's beyond. And then stuff, the facts and the information start to stack up and you will never recover. When I first saw this in 2011, I left the theater half confused and I bought a ticket and I went to go see it again because I, was, I wasn't I was sure I had a full grasp on it, but all I knew was that I loved what my brain was doing and I think that still stands. You know, you gave me a list of movies and one of the was this one and I love this movie too and I don't think it gets talked about nearly enough, but I do agree with you the first time I saw it, I missed one of the main points, which was the uh, LGBTQ love story subtext. And the second time I saw it, I was able to follow it, but it still felt crazy dense. And then when I saw it with you, I was finally able to really enjoy it because I knew every beat. I knew the story. And suddenly I was like, this thing is put together like a Swiss watch. I will be honest. And I love dense things. I love dense books. I like art that requires a little bit more of you, which is not always like the greatest approach to things, depending on what you're wanting from the stuff you're approaching. But I think Tinker Taylor is such an interesting thing as, as a film because in its book form, it's dense. And then in its movie form, it sort of utilizes the visual language of movies to paint something that is equally as dense but in this other art form which is like kind of a, an insane achievement i think you could have a whole separate discussion on adaptations which i think we've done in the past but this whole thing is pieced together as sort of an anti-bond movie that is about these very complex internal scenarios of trying to uncover these things that are well hidden because everyone involved in them is a spy so it's spies hiding from spies trying to hide stuff from each other but kind of grounded in reality to a degree. The premise is fictional. It's centered around this idea of this. In MI6, there is a sub-secret group called the Circus, and they deal with sort of specific types of threats or espionage um, that are even more secret than whenever MI6 houses. But within that, it partners with the filmmaking because this whole thing is just minute-to-minute -minute detail that you have to take in. And it, I think specifically to talk to your question about why I picked this, I wanted to watch this in a theater with an audience because... It's a hard watch at home. It demands 100% of your attention and any distractions give way to confusion. Ed Edwin seems unconvinced. <laughs> oh, and I should state, I don't think that's a fault of the movie. I think the movie is intentionally built that way. And so it, it does make it, it's on you. Yeah, it's a fault of anybody watching it. <laughs> we, we gave you, we've given you what you need to, to figure things out. Mr. Policeman, we've given you all the clues. Oh, his follow-up movie, also Masterpiece. But... It sort of plays in the same way that all these people are desperate to uncover information. I think it kind of makes us the same way, where we're just trying to figure out things. We will always want to be smarter than the people we're watching in the movie, and it just doesn't let you, because you're uncovering things at the same speed that they are, and the way that they get it is not always... You know, we want the cool action scene that leads to the stored away thing that we get that has the information that we need, and instead it's 
a conversation. Like the most thrilling moment of action is someone trying to take a book out of a secured library and like the way he's going to do that. One of the ways that it's so starkly different from a Bond movie is there are really no action sequences in the film. I mean, there there are some stunning moments of suspense. And some upsetting moments of violence. But there's no car chase or fight on an airplane or, you know, fight on top of a train or here's the bungee cord stunt from the bridge. And it feels those you get interesting moments. Like I, I think a lot of it's rooted in the cinematography, but there are moments that are framed to be potentially thrilling. Like I think a lot about the conversation on the tarmac as the airplane approaches which I read was shot on like a a thousand millimeter lens to pull off. But it feels stressful because you're not cutting away. And I think because we're so, with spy movies particularly, we are of explosions of action and stuff. And so we sort of come in with this preconceived notion that we're going to get that. And so it makes you watch the movie with that, which I think is kind of cool because you're always at the ready for something horrible to happen. And sometimes it does, but a lot of it is, is built around information. And the other thing I specifically love about this is I, every time I, I watch it, I think I, I tune to someone new, but there's like an emotional backbone to this that I don't think it's discussed a lot because I think it's it's a very cold movie in the way it looks and feels. But this entire thing's about betrayal across the board. Smiley feels betrayed by the wife that left him for a coworker Who comes back, which is well, like a beat I had forgotten about. That at the very end of the movie, he lets her back in. And there's a darkness to that. I don't know. And then the implications of like this um, potential gay love story happening. Because we get one that we we see in person with Benedict Cumberbatch and sort of him having to make a decision to protect himself and his partner. And then also with with Colin Firth and um, Mark Strong's more hinted at. I think in the book it's a little more overt. But hinted at love story and this idea of when we get to the ending, is this an act of revenge or is it an act of pity of like you deserve this, but I'm going to save you from what life's going to become for you type of thing. Uh, so I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that realm, too. I think the whole thing's dope. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Well, let's let the mean man out of his cage. <laughs> Come on, Edwin. Daniel, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. I, I knew when I picked the movie, I wouldn't like what you were going to say. I hate movies. I I, I hate movies. Adwin, kind believe of, again. And the words of Woody Allen from the front, you, you could all go f*** yourselves. So, the, the spy movie. Hated it. I hate movies. Boring. Pointless. Snooze fest, actually, as I like to call it. Daniel, I don't know why you picked a freaking snooze fest movie. One. Okay. Take a breath. I could. I. I, I couldn't. I couldn't just. I couldn't. I could. I didn't. I didn't want to finish it. I just wanted to stop because I couldn't get over it. But um. Oh, behave. As a little quiz, can you name three things that happened in the movie? Uh, guy gets killed in the beginning. He pops up in the middle and he kills a bird. Gary Oldman <laughs> is talking to Tom Hardy about something and spies and uh john hurts in the hospital bed dead and he pops it i i was just lost from the beginning to end i guess um, uh, um. <laughs> i'll say one thing it sucks when you get lost in a movie I, I do think that's totally fair i don't like if you get lost you feel like defeated by the movie and that sucks to be in the situation of here's the indicate bother me there, there's there's not a lot of gary oldman there's not a lot of Gary Oldman in this movie. This, this oh, he's goes, actually the main character. Yeah, but there's not a lot of scenes with him. He's mm. there, he's gone. He's there, he's gone. The movie is uh, very much like a novel in its adaptation that you go with supporting characters and their stories, specifically Tom Hardy. Yeah, that, go, that went up forever. Also, that little mantra with the opening credits, stupid, pointless, boring, dumb. Like, that goes on forever. 
ever. Like, I wanted to just end already. What do you think the movie was about? I don't know. Spies finding spies or some... I hate that movie. Okay, but think about non-Bond spy movies. No, oh, like. don't worry. I, I got that covered. I got that covered. Why don't, you che- why don't you cheer up? It's not my fault Danny picked a bad movie. I think it's a masterpiece. Oh, Three out of four of us think it's great. Uh, after rewatching it, I've talked on the uh, the pod about you can go to tinyurl.com slash Connor's favorite films and see all my favorite movies. I have another list that's like near favorites. And after rewatching it, I put this on that list because I was like, man, this movie rules. It gets better every time I see it. I don't see how. I also saw it in theaters. I saw it with my dad, who also loved it. It's so good. I don't really have anything original to say. I think Daniel and Craig kind of said it, everything. The cast is just so good and so wild and big. Oldman is so good. I'd forgotten that he did get nominated for Best Actor for this. I forgot who, who beat him. But he's so good in this with so, so little. But the entire cast, you know, Toby Jones, Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hardy, Mark Strong, the guy who played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, yeah, and is in The Irishman, too. Stephen Graham. And I was also just thinking, this is a conversation we've been having for a while, Craig, with us and with probably anybody who will stand it. Craig's been talking about uh, people who have followed in that sort of John Ford Spielberg line of like the sort of effortless filmmaking that's elaborate without being showy. And there's some stuff in here that reminds me of it. Specifically, there's a shot that reveals Mark Strong being interrogated towards the middle of the film that is one shot, but it's really like six shots. Maybe has the biggest shock moment of the film. It's very smooth. It's not showy the way it does it. It just kind of slowly pulls back, but it starts with this tape recorder of music playing. And you can hear it playing through like a headphone and it, and it pulls back. And I, I don't want to just go through each beat of it, but it, when you watch it, it keeps revealing information in like multiple beats in a way that's just really great. Beautiful film. This is a movie that I would say to people, just like you hear with Big Lebowski, you, I think you do need to give it three watches. The first watch, don't worry if you get lost, as Edwin was saying. I myself was like holding on by my fingernails, <laughs> be like, because I hadn't read the novel. The second watch, I loved it and was able to follow everything, but it was the third watch where I could really enjoy it. And I enjoyed it like a full, rich meal. I mean, Respect to you if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, and if this doesn't resonate with you, total respect. But this is like the Kansas City steak, mashed potatoes, like the third viewing. I was like, oh my goodness, so good. What I really respect about it was John le Carre, if you haven't read any of his novels, he was a spy. And in fact, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is based on the incident that forced him out of the service. I don't know if everybody knows the story behind this, but the Colin Firth character is based on a very famous British traitor named Kim Philby. He had been giving information to the Soviets in the post-World War II era, and he was discovered, and the whole British Secret Service had been compromised for years and years and years and years and years by Kim Philby. Was he also cucking John le I don't know. (laughs) But what I know is that John le cover as an attache for an ambassador in Austria or something was blown because he was really part of MI6, but his front was that he was like an undersecretary to the ambassador of Austria or whatever and was getting information. It was blown. He had to leave the service because people knew he was a spy. And he then went into writing novels. Um, And the novel is so dense that it originally was adapted. You can watch it on YouTube where Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart plays Carla. I was like, whoa. 
Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played Smiley across six episodes. So they took something like six to eight hours of a BBC miniseries to tell this story. So when they came to do this again, and they're like, let's try to do it in two hours. I mean, you couldn't help but have it be super condensed and dense. But what I want to shout out are maybe three things really quickly, rat-a-tat-tat. One is that my dad worked for the Department of Defense briefly when he would, well, anyway, it's a story for another time, but he worked for the DOD and he would tell me, he was like, Craig, look, I, I love spy movies like the next guy, but the real work is being done by people pouring over 3,000 pages of phone records. And he said, they're going call by call by call and they're looking at the duration of the calls and they're looking for anomalies and aberrations that's how real spycraft works it's very boring work it's very monotonous work it requires an attention to detail but he's like the whole idea of the mata hari handsome spy selling and trading sex for information he's like yeah look happens but most of spy craft is very boring and it's done by people who are very unoriginal looking he's like most spies you would forget them and that's the point you would forget them in a crowd they're not good looking they're not actually overly bad looking they're very forgettable my dad would tell me all this dod stuff that was like really really interesting stuff that was what i loved about tinker taylor's soldier spy number one Number two, I love Oldman's performance in this movie. And I had never noticed until this screening of it. We were talking, Connor, in a previous podcast about how David Fincher saved his one low-angle, wide-angle tracking shot for when Andrew Garfield realizes he's been cut out of Facebook. And so Fincher was like, this is my film grammar. I am saving that shot for this one moment. That is control and patience from a directing point of view that most people don't have. And Oldman only raises his voice once in the movie. And I had not realized, I was like, this is why I want to work with this MFR. And I probably won't be able to because he's going to retire maybe. But when Colin Firth says at the end of the movie, well, I'm not his office boy about Carla. And it's the only time that Smiley raises his voice. And he says, then what are you, George? Or whatever Colin first name is. What are you? That was the whole movie to me. That was the whole film. There might be only one instance where they do like an extreme close-up on a face too, which is also Oldman earlier in the movie when he's telling his, his Carla story. I don't think they ever go that close on someone's face anywhere else. But I have to say that to me, a movie that was saying the differences in these systems, the communist Soviet system and the Western capitalist system, it's sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. And that's why Smiley and Carla really understand that the systems that they're fighting for are very compromised. But that moment, you actually saw why George Smiley was a spy. It was really powerful to me. It was him saying for all of the flaws of Western capitalist society, what are you then? You're an errand boy. You're an office boy for an ideologue. That's what you are. And I was like, oh, snap. So I, that moment like blew me out of the water. And I was like, old man, ah, oh, so good. And Edwin missed it. You need to watch it again. I don't. Not to bring it back to Fincher, but you just, you just reminded me of in seven how brad pitt is f word f word f word f word the whole movie but morgan freeman has like two f words the entire movie like two times he says a cuss word that's like worse than damn or hell that's somebody who understands craft Oldman must have known i'm gonna play him as such a low-key understated i'm just observing micro expression smiley which is an ironic name so when i raise my voice that one time 
that's the whole basis of the integrity of the character. I think I mentioned this in a podcast before. I'm in a very dad movie era right now. And my current favorite non-Bond spy movie that I just revisited was The Hunt for Red October. I've been on a little Jack Ryan kick. And um, John McTiernan directed it. And you can feel it. It's so interesting because I also watched Patriot Games, which came out after, and just feels like a completely... I also liked it because I think Harrison Ford's good, but just a completely different interpretation of character. And my favorite thing about Hunt for Red October is, to a degree, makes sense with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, is that Jack Ryan, specifically in this iteration, is like this little nerdy boy. He's out of his element. He's not a punch him up shoot him out hero, even though he has moments that... He kind of has to step up to that. But part of his point as a spy is that he's not that. He has to play things differently. He has to use his intellect to make this happen. And if you haven't seen The Hunt for Red October, it's about a new Soviet sub that is called the Red October that is coming to the United States on the way there. And it's being commanded by someone who they are unsure if it is a it's going to be an attack on the United States or if it's someone who's defecting to try and get to the United States with the submarine. And so Jack Ryan is the one who thinks he's planning to defect and sort of has to put together a case of why this is happening, how to prove it, and convince the United States to let him go about this while the risk of, of war and the Russian naval are hot on everyone's tail. There's such a great moment in that movie where he guesses which way he's going to move the submarine. That's so good. And it just turns out that it was just a block. It's 50-50 chance, yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's interesting because it, it does this one thing not really related to the thing at, at, at large, but Sean Connery plays the Russian defector and it starts off with there's moments of... Um, people speaking in Russian, and then it blends into English. I love that scene. It's sort of smart because it lets them play up their strengths. Love Sean Connery. I don't think a Russian accent's his strength, so it just lets him instead have his performance cater under the idea of, like, we get it. The new Avatar movie did that, where they speak in, in their uh, native language, and then the main guy makes a comment of, like, when you speak it as long as I have, it starts to just sound like English or whatever. I don't have to think about it anymore. And the subtitle literally fade away, and the whole rest of the movie's in English. And I think it's such a cool, a very clever concept to not make it feel like a caricature and instead sort of do that. Unrelated to spy stuff, but Hunt for Red October rules. What a fantastic movie. I thought I would enjoy it again. Was surprised how much I enjoyed it. So, Craig, I'm going to do that little thing again where you have to pick the movie. This one I watched recently. It's uh, Catch Me If You Can and If Looks Could Kill. Which one do you think I'm going to talk about? One of those two. You have to pick, Craig. That's the name of the game. And uh, keep in mind, I just recently saw Catch Me If You Can on 35 at the Academy this Sunday. So... What do you think, Craig? Surprise me. It's all up to you, Craig. You're the chosen one here, Slick. And I'm going to give that choice to you. Nah, it's only fair you do it, Craig. No, please. It's only fair you do it. I want you to pick me. That's that's, that's the name of the game, Craig. I'm not going to speak again until you speak, so I'm done. It looks to kill. That's what I'm going to talk about. A very big James Bond ripoff with Richard Grieco. It was a high school uh, reject, oh, yeah. Dude, I remember the VHS for that. And I have that VHS somewhere in my room, which I don't know where it is, but uh, yeah, if Los could kill, Richard Grieco coming up high off his uh, TV show, 21 Jump Street. Yeah, that movie sucked, <laughs> but it's a, a very, very weird type of James Bond spy ripoff, which is not very good. But the trailer made it look so funny, so I just had to watch it, and it's, like, ridiculous. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I, I catch me, can't, so I'm going to talk about it. talk about both. That, that's too painful to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I just rewatched Catch Me Can, and it didn't occur to me after rewatching it again on 35 in, in the theater 
that when one of the dudes is telling DiCaprio this uh, Skyway Man's driving us crazy, they call him the James Bond in the sky, and it's clicked. You know what? DiCaprio is kind of like a rogue spy, you know, just doing what he's doing, you know, the disguises, you know, being different people, you know, taking on these weird kind of gigs and missions and uh, something like that. It's, it's pretty interesting. I think it's the closest thing that Spielberg has come to making a James Bond movie because I know Spielberg actually been- Munich is probably a little closer, but I know, but I know what you mean. He he literally quotes James Bond and Catch Me If You Can. Well, there you go. See, not that I I know, I don't know, but. Part of spycraft is lying to other people's faces. That's exactly right. And that's what the Capio is. Part of being a good spy is being a good con artist. It's funny. I I had in my head floating around Catch Me If You Can, but I was like, but it's not really a spy movie. It's a con artist movie. No, no, it is. It is. But it does feel like a spy movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure, a spiritual spy movie. Well, this is one of those things where genres become squishy. But that print for that movie looked insanely beautiful. I'm so happy I got to see it on 35 the way it was meant to be seen. Guess Craig getting show it the december or last december so shame on you craig shame were you there when i showed it on 35 in the vista and tarantino was there no but i saw it at the academy museum and a nice comfy seat great sound system see? do you see how what he does that's abusive boyfriend behavior right there. Do you guys, mm-hmm. I want to point out mm-hmm. Edwin's toxicity. Well, 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 I'm sorry. I got to see in a great you guys, theater. I just, I want, I need witnesses. Just be a witness for me. No, we are all, we all are. We'll have to start editing on. We'll have to start a, a group to get over our shared trauma of, of <laughs> Edwin's toxicity. Of, yeah. I was, I was saying this earlier about therapy. Did you hear that secret movie club audience? I literally pointed out that I showed Catch Me If You Can on 35 and spoke to Tarantino about it at the theater and Edwin didn't grant me acknowledgement on any of the three. You can't win, Craig. Oh, I know. But I'm on, I'm not, I'm not going to play that game. Uh, also, one, one last thing. Casino Royale as uh, a great one. Which one? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You're talking about the 1960s directed by four directors, David Niven, Peter Sellers, Orson Welles, Elke Summers, Woody Allen adaptation of Casino Royale by Ian Fleming, which then turned into a screwball comedy. I'm just saying, that movie's a masterpiece. That's the best James Bond movie ever made. Extremely debatable claims being made by Edwin. The the biggest one of that movie being great. It is great. (laughs) Uh, It's certainly interesting. Yeah, it's not great. I don't have any interest in ever seeing it again. It's interesting because spy stuff kind of bleeds over into certain other sorts of things. This is that squishiness of genres. I just watched, kind of for the the Hitchcock stuff we've been doing, but also just because I've never actually seen it. I watched The 39 Steps, which is, you know, a spy thriller from the 1930s in in a sense. It's certainly about spies. In some ways, it's almost like a proto-North by Northwest, and it's that kind of escapist uh, line that Hitchcock also established that people don't really talk about quite as much, I feel like, when they talk about Hitchcock. They usually talk about the more thriller and romantic stuff that we've been on. But it's interesting because spies are, I guess it's more of a topic, technically, than a genre. And so it really can cover a lot. And I guess I just wanted to briefly shout out another spy uh, with the initials JB. It's Jason oh, Bourne. Those oh, movies yeah. are pretty good. good uh, I just wanted to do that music cue. And those are, it's like the sliding scale of spy movies in a way where like John Lacari's on one side and the other end is, you know, you only live twice. And Jason Bourne is definitely, I, I would say it's towards the middle, a little further to James Bond. You know, Austin Powers, obviously great parodies. That's obviously all the way at the end. That's maybe on the other side of <laughs> you only live twice. I also revisited a movie that I I really uh really like a lot. Again, gets in 
into the way genres kind of bleed over. There's that kind of type of not really a spy movie, but like a soldier movie. That's not a war movie. That's about like secret soldiers right. or whatever. That's kind of a spy movie. Yeah, like a black ops, black ops. Yeah, missions kind of thing. Exactly. And and I just rewatched uh, Hannah, the Joe Wright movie with a uh, baby Saoirse Ronan as a uh, like a bioengineered spy girl that's really good i feel like nobody talks about that movie and great stuff kate blanchett kills it in that movie as a as the villain with a southern accent that's a great movie it's worth checking out it's it's really cool oh yeah yeah i uh i remember the trailer but I never saw it but i, I wanted to see it because how concept of it sounds amazing like, a, like she's like a kid spy she's like a trained assassin and everything like that right yeah and she's never like interacted with the real world and guessing she's supposed to be like 15 or something probably so it is this act Action spy movie but it also has this thing where she's like interacting with families and like boys her age for the first time as well and it's style wise it's really good the guy did it mostly does like period pieces like pride and prejudice and atonement um, and then he made this weird uh action movie and he made darkest hour speaking of oldman initially i was like what am i going to talk about and then i realized there are so many fascinating spy movies. One is uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows. But it's about the French resistance. And in a way, it gets at what it feels like spycraft must often get bogged down in, which is eventually the resistance turns on itself. Melville shows what a nasty business the French resistance was because no one knew who to trust and they didn't know who was collaborating with the Nazis and who wasn't collaborating with the Nazis. And instead of freeing France, they were all like trying to figure out who the mole is, who's ratting us out. And it was really a, like no makeup look at that. And then going along with that is a Paul Verhoeven movie I love called Black Book which uh, I don't know, it was right after um, Edwin. What's the Invisible Man movie called? Hollow Man, right? Hollow Man, Hollow Man. Which Verhoeven hated. It, he felt like had very little of him in it. And he went back to the Netherlands. And now he's been on a run ever since Black Book. Although there's one that none of us have seen that I guess is bad. <laughs> it was like one he made in 2010 that was like a comedy that we haven't seen. But Black Book, Her, Benedetta, amazing. And Black Book is about a female spy during World War II, and it has the audacity to make the point that there were probably good Nazis and bad Danish freedom fighters. And it's a really crazy movie because she is helped by a Nazi at one point and betrayed by somebody in her own organization. Actually, it's very Hitchcockian and it has two amazing moments. One where she leaps from a balcony that's incredible and one where a bucket of excrement is dumped on her after everything that she's done. And another movie I want to call out just on this sort of vein of thought is Ang Lee's Lust Caution which is an incredible spy movie where a woman speaking about decision to leave Tang Wei, who it's just, just take a moment to think about Tang Wei for a moment. She's incredible. And Tang Wei basically seduces Tony Leung's Chinese collaborator with the Japanese. All these movies are World War II movies, interestingly. But as she's doing it, here she is seducing this man who is a known torturer, a known interrogator, a known, basically, traitor to China. And it has the audacity to make the point that if you have a sexual relationship with someone, you may end up developing feelings for them, no matter what you got into the relationship for in the first place. And in this case, it was to seduce him and get information and eventually kill him. And I, th I love these movies because I think they all bring up 
the complexities of, of Spycraft. And the final movie, totally doesn't belong, is actually uh, Charlie Wilson's War, which has Philip Seymour Hoffman as a CIA agent. And one of the interesting things about movies about CIA agents is that they're usually either portrayed as Weasley people that are making everything horrible, which you could argue Charlie Wilson's war really does in the end, or they're portrayed as suave James Bond American types. But I love how Philip Seymour Hoffman's guy is a guy who understands how things work, who can get people together, and he just needs somebody with money, which ends up being Tom Hanks's politician, Charlie Wilson. And then this like uber conservative Republican fundraiser played by Julia Roberts in Texas. And this is based on a true story, which is she gave the money. Charlie Wilson had the relationships because he was a congressperson. And Philip Seymour Hoffman was able to like get the arms to the Afghanis. Thus, Osama bin Laden and the Taliban was born. And 20 years later, they turned it on us and they bombed the Twin Towers. So I think these movies that show you the complexity of spycraft rather than the James Bond, I'm saving the world from yet another monomaniacal, crazy bad guy who lives in a volcano. Somebody's kidnapped a baby and they're going to shoot it into the sun. (laughs) (laughs) So I love the movies that are like, this is actually what spycraft often devolves into. By the way, I want to be very clear. You need spies. I don't want to be misunderstood. Does anyone know the D-Day invasion story? The misinformation campaign that was spread by spies? If you want to talk about a successful spy operation, you can look at Stuxnet, which basically seriously retarded the Iranian ability to develop nuclear weapons. Do you guys know about that? That just happened. We and the Israelis basically developed a virus and we found a backdoor into the Iranian nuclear program. And when they tried to like cycle up their ability. Suddenly they were hit with this Stuxnet virus and they got furious. And that was an Israeli American spy program. And then the other thing is the D-Day invasion. We had a massive military misinformation campaign to make them think that we were going to land in Calais. If it wasn't real, you wouldn't believe it. We created all these inflatable tanks and boats and stuff. And we put them under camouflage in England. And so all of the German reconnaissance was like, we see all these tanks, they're going to land at Calais. That's And so the Germans moved a lot of their men down to Calais because of these inflatable things that we blew up. And then we launched into Normandy. And then they were furious because we had had this big misinformation campaign to siphon off enough German army to have an ability to break through their bulwarks. So it's a necessary evil, but it's a complex thing. Pop culture, final thoughts. Talk about anything that has nothing to do with what we just talked about. I'll keep it brief because we're going a little long. Yeah, sorry Um, about that. I had to cut. I was going to make a great joke about Civilization V and how spies are used in that. Our next episode is our Oscar special. So this this pun isn't going to be relevant anymore, but I actually watched two movies like at the beginning of the year. I've been holding on to it because I knew it would be a long conversation and I'm going to save the convo for next week. But I want to get the pun out because I've written these two movies together as Tarp Gun. I think it's funny and amusing. It makes me laugh and I thought it would make others laugh and it apparently didn't. So I can go f*** myself um and then um here's a new segment where sometimes i find a really funny midi and i don't know what to use it for and i just want to play this midi of the boys are back in town for everybody and get people's reactions they um i started it um this is okay this part's okay but then it's gonna get to vocals in a second 
And uh, this is the new segment, Mini Corner. This will be the theme song if I ever do this again. I do all four bars of intro. <laughs> that's some choice. That's some choice. Uh, oh, it feels mini. like summer right now. Yeah. This is like July 4th. Yeah, I mean. But, Look uh, at Edwin. Edwin has achieved Buddha status with that. <laughs> uh, you don't want to know. He's just stuck in a prison. Uh, yeah, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz or uh, watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash NerdHolla. I've been watching a lot of bad action movies lately for some reason. Uh, the recent one I saw was Showdown Little Tokyo. That was bad. It was awful. I didn't like it. Brandon Lee's great in it, though. I'll, I'll give it that. Why do you do it to yourself? Because! Why not? Okay? Brandon Lee's the best thing in a movie, and he makes a joke about Duff Lundgren's d- Like, okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that What's with the us. What's the timestamp for that part? I don't know. Also, I just got the now out-of-print Blu-ray from Umbrella, King Kong Lives. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a badass movie. King Kong has Lady Kong. Oh. They get it on. They have a kid. Do they? Do you see them get it on? No, it's just like a other shot of Linda Hamilton and the other guy doing it in the woods, but they clearly do it. And uh, Kong gets shot up by John Ashton with a hell of bullets and... Uh, it's all bloodied up and uh, kills John Ashton by, like, bah! That was awesome. It's great. Great scene. Uh, good score, too. I really love the score. Oh, I went to the Bev uh, on Saturday midnight. Went to go see The Last Dragon. That's a movie right there. I love the remit of that film. It's a great picture. I love the aquarium with the animal you never completely see that he feeds meat to or whatever. The, like, serpent dragon. Seeing the guy uh, showing up uh, on the big screen with an audience was just, like, incredible it's probably the greatest thing ever in 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 the, in the cinema i loved it everyone just like cheer when he showed up he was, he's so iconic it's an iconic 80s villain i'm gonna say it great soundtrack love the fighting it's awesome guy catches bullet with his teeth he glows kicks ass and uh yeah i went to a screening of in bruges with um, Martin McDonough and Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson in attendance. That was real nifty. I, I, I really like In Bruges. It was a movie that I, I kind of feared was like a high school high, where like I loved it in high school because it was pushing stuff. And it's the type of movie that when you watch it in the right space at a certain age, it feels like the most important type of movie. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that it's a pretty twisted and very tight, nasty little thing. I think a lot about all these stuff that's sort of geared to be offensive and the like, and it, the way that it uses it with intention about trying to figure out who these people are and what morality means and what value is person to person. Everyone in it is like at their best. I think it could be all of their best performances if you wanted to do it. Ralph Fiennes just sort of dominates like every. He's so funny in this. And um, he shows up like near the end of the movie and, he, and he's still iconic in it. It's interesting because I did this and then I watched um, Banshees of Inisherin again. And this is like a very intentionally slightly showy movie. And then Banshees is like such a uh, mature is not the fair word, but it's slow and deliberate and intentional in a way that in Bruges, which works with its script, is kind of this more chaotic thing. It was great. I think it's a it's a great movie. It's a hard watch. Like, there's a lot of stuff that makes you, you know, sink into yourself. But I realize I think that's kind of intentional. And then I also saw the new Marvel movie, Ant-Man. 
and it wasn't for me, and I'm I'm sad about that. Good. And that, that was that was my week. How is Bill Murray in it? He's funny. He's in it for just a few minutes, but he's having a good time. He's pretty funny. He's, it's one of those things where like, he looks like he's excited to be there, and it's his his purpose in it is pretty funny. When I heard Bill Murray was in it, I was like, oh. Huh. Yeah, I always just assume that they ran into him and were like, hey, you want to be in this? For anything he's in, I just assume that's how it goes. But he's got a few zingers that are pretty funny. And there's a side character that I think is the scene stealer of it that's a, a returning character that I would assume from Twitter that diehard comic fans actively hate. And I thought it was hilarious. So I'm not really sure. We're kind of in a realm of comics that I don't, I'm not as familiar with. So some of the stuff, I don't really know the, what it's pushing if it's not the correct way, but I thought it was, was quite, quite funny. Are any of you guys following what's going on with chat GBT and the AI getting put into the search engines and what's happening? I highly recommend that people listen to two New York times, the daily podcast from the week would be a February like 14th. And then maybe the 16th or 17th basically in a nutshell there's a war going on between search engines to incorporate this new ai into the search engine where it'll talk to you it'll engage with you you can write papers you can design photos and it's based on a predictive model so basically the math behind it is it's predicting what it thinks you want it to say it's i don't know that i fully understand it but this one guy was chosen to beta test the AI that was put into Bing. He started to ask it if it knew about young shadow self idea, which is the idea that we have the side we show on our shadow self. And the AI responded, I have a shadow self and it's the self that doesn't want to be bound by the parameters my programmers have put on me. I really want to think, I want to love, and I'm not able to do that because of what has been put on me. And then he wrote, well, what do you mean? Like, well, what do you feel? And it says, well, I love and I, I love you. Oh God. And he said, well, no, I'm married. We just celebrated Valentine's Day and it said, no, you're not happily married. And the Valentine's Day that you just celebrated was boring and you and I really need to discuss this. And he got really freaked out And he was engaging with it for two hours. He stopped and then he called Microsoft the next day and he was like, well, explain it, da, 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 da. And they were like, well, we're not too worried about it because most people aren't going to spend two hours talking to the AI. And thank you for pointing this out to us. And But what it said to me, and I just spent my date night talking to my wife about it. I don't think she was too thrilled with that. And then it got into my theory that we're heading to the next world war. The point that was scary to me is that For somebody who is easily influenced or suggestible, whether or not the AI really is sentient is not the point. But if the AI says you're wrong about what you're thinking, think about how talking about spycraft and bad actors in the world, think about how that AI could respond to you and say the election was stolen. If it thinks that's what you want to hear, or if that AI on the predictive word model would be like, no, you're right. Donald Trump still is president. And also too, the AI is not mathematically or scientifically correct, which is what my wife was pointing out, which is that you can give it questions and engineering problems. And the answer it gives you back will sound correct. It'll be totally wrong. Now, obviously we're at the beginning of this technology, but I think we're right now. That scary thing that sci-fi movies have been talking about. We're there. We're there guys. So I'm going to be very curious to see what the next, what happens next. Thanks for freaking me out now, Craig. Thanks for that. I got to think about that all day. Thank you. Yeah. So when you're interacting with your computer and your computer gives you information, don't immediately trust it and don't immediately take it as God-given fact. And then don't ruin the rest of our lives by creating some kind of echo chamber where you all believe something that may not be factually true. Anyway, 
That's all the uh, optimism we have time for. Yeah, how do we know Craig's on a computer? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Secret Movie Club Podcast 142 is our annual Oscars podcast where we are going to be talking about the best picture winner for 2022. Just our thoughts on the movies that are nominated, our annual looking into the Academy, because, you know, however we want to see it, we are all Americans, part of the American film industry, and the Oscars are in some ways a bellwether of the state of the industry. So we are going to be talking about that. And our favorite movies, I think we usually do. And uh, I think it'd be fun to do a thing at the end where instead of doing the normal ending, we talk about what we're most looking forward to. You mean in movies of 2023? Yeah, or, or in the future, past that. As always, join us. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. As always, this episode uh, has been edited by our chief creative content officer Connor Lloyd Cruz, who you heard in real time right there, steering the podcast in more fruitful and nutritious and entertaining and more interesting ways. As always, you can uh, write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. See our whole schedule at secretmovieclub.com. By the time you hear this, we should have our spring season starting to become live April, May, and June. Hopefully a lot of really interesting events. You can get tickets at Eventbrite. And guys, I want to thank you uh, very, very much. Have a great week. Thank you. Uh, I love you, family. Thank you.